Hey everyone, welcome back to another Plugged In episode on the CPC Podcast. This Plugged In episode is brought to you by Gravity Student Ministries, the youth ministries of Centerpoint Pentecostal Church. We pray that this episode blesses you and challenges you and gives you the answers that you have been looking for for quite some time. I know that this message is going to be anointed and we know that it's going to bless you. So without any further ado, let's get into today's Plugged In episode. First Samuel chapter 4, starting in verse 19. And his daughter-in-law, I'm just going to say Phineas, Phineas's wife was with child, near to be delivered. And when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, Ichabod, thank you, saying, The glory is departed from Israel, because the ark of God was taken, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. Last verse, 22, And she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. For the past few weeks in Sunday school, we've been talking about what? Do you all remember? Besides the last Sunday school lesson. That was about a series or two back. Okay, the last series we discussed, the last few weeks in Sunday school, we've been talking about God's glory. We talked about God's glory. We spent time learning about what God's glory is, His nature, His characteristics, Him being shown by and through us. We learned about what it means to behold His glory or beheld His glory, to give Him glory and even that counterfeit glory or that fake glory. We spent so much time discussing what His glory is and how to obtain that glory and what happens when you have it that we really never discussed the opposite of this. We never really discovered what it means to lose the glory. Um, Professional sports players, they retire and they try to come back and play professionally. Or adults try to stay hip by speaking lingo that y'all say, like bussin' and cap and mid and... and, um, Those kind of words. Um, That there comes a time where unless you're actively involving yourself in those things and consistently pursuing yourself to be like those things, there's always a possibility that you could lose it. I've I've seen, Brother David, I've seen retired sports players try to come back and play the sport, and they're terrible. They just don't have it. They, um, They don't have it anymore. Because they're not in that rigorous grind, they end up losing it. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about tonight with this simple two-worded thought, Got Glory. That's my title, Got Glory? Question mark. Got Glory? Question mark. Y'all may be seated. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 
Life is filled with various mysteries and questions. For many, people often wonder what the meaning of life is all about and what is their true purpose on this place we call earth. Some are still trying to figure out what the cure for cancer is. Some are still trying to see places that have yet to be fully discovered, like the entirety of the ocean floor. But there's some of life's questions that are not as serious, but are still a mystery nonetheless. For example, when you go to a movie theater and you sit down to watch your movie, which armrest is yours? Is it the left? Is it the right? Is it both? If, if, is it both? So, but what about the person sitting left or right of you? <laughs> okay. Here's another one for y'all. Do stairs go up or down? right that's right um or what about the fact that your fingers and toes they get wrinkly in the shower but nothing else does Whoa. <laughs> your fingers and toes they get wrinkly but nothing else does what you got um Right. Right. Last one for y'all. Finally, if you try to fail and succeed, which one have you done? So many questions and so little answers. And you think by being in school and getting an education that there would be less and less questions that I need answering, but it's actually the opposite. As we grow as a society and discover new things, that means new questions are to arise and need answering, and so the cycle continues. But I remember being in school, especially elementary school, and there was always one question that would literally stare me in the face every day as I was at school. It was a question that I thought... I had the answer to. In fact, I gave it an answer every single day by my words and by my actions, but it always found its way to asking me again. No, it wasn't a question about math. It wasn't one about science or English or spelling or social studies. It wasn't even a question in PE or recess or the canteen area. The question that was asked was one that was only two words, but this question felt like it needed a long and thought-out answer if it was ever going to stop. Brother David, can you show everybody what that question is? Got milk. In a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Preacher don't need water for tonight. I've got I've got milk.
Fun fact for y'all, I actually really don't like milk. I really don't like milk. I'd rather chocolate milk than white milk. So, but that was the question that stared at my face and all my other classmates' face every day in the cafeteria. There were posters lined up all across that simply said or asked the question, got milk. I thought to myself, got milk? Well, yeah, I've got a carton of chocolate milk that I grab every day. Um, every time I eat breakfast or I eat lunch at school, I got milk. They wouldn't give me Coke or Dr. Pepper or even juice, so yeah, all I've got to answer is, yes, I've got milk. It was plastered all over the cafeteria with posters that were black in the background with white lettering, or backwards, you would have just a white poster with black lettering. It used to have famous sports people and actors and actresses and politicians and cartoons and people that would help drive the message of Got Milk. Got Milk is an American advertising campaign on television and YouTube that encouraged the consumption of milk and dairy products. The advertisements would typically feature people in various situations involving dry or sticky foods and treats such as cakes and cookies. People would then find themselves in uncomfortable situations due to a full mouth of food and nothing to wash it down with, not even a cold glass of milk. The first Got Milk advertisement aired nationwide on October 29, 1993. Okay, so before I was even born. Which featured a historian receiving a call to answer a radio station's $10,000 trivia question. The question was, who shot Alexander Hamilton in that famous duel? That's correct. It was Aaron Burr. The man is shown to have an entire museum solely for the duel itself, packed with all kinds of artifacts. He answers the question correctly by saying Aaron Burr, but because his mouth is full of peanut butter sandwich and he does not have milk to wash it down, his answer is unintelligible. They could not make out what his answer was. It's like, every, it's like you see those dogs when you give them peanut butter, and they're just, you know, a tongue everywhere, trying to chew it. Ah, you know, they can't. Um, the DJ promptly hangs up on him as he, whimpers, as he whispers the answer one last time to show his displeasure on having missed out on the prize. That ad was at the top of the advertising industry. It won multiple awards. In 2002, it was named one of the 10 best commercials of all time by USA Today. And it ran again nationwide that same year. That slogan, Got Milk, which was licensed by the National Milk Processor Education Program, was used on print ads, and it included celebrities like Britney Spears, Beyonce, Rihanna, Serena Williams, and Venus Williams, as well as fictional characters in TV like The Avengers, The Simpsons, Batman, Mario, The Powerpuff Girls, all kinds of people. They even went as far as doing a milk mustache campaign, and you know when you drink milk, there's a big mustache. Right, because I'm about as white as this milk. You're not going to be able to see it that well. So, the milk mustache campaign promoting the Super Bowl has also been featured in USA Today. 
And like I said, it was in other pieces of entertainment. You had a, one poster I saw had two of the main uh, actresses on the TV show Friends. You also had Johnny Bravo. You had Garfield, the nanny. And it plastered all over YouTube in the late 2000s. This whole Got Milk campaign was to push healthy lifestyle and healthy choices. And if you were 100% behind this message, this ideology, then you would show it off by having a milk mustache. You would show it off by showing everybody that you would drink milk. You could tell when someone had drank milk by seeing that milk mustache on them. Parents used to tell us to drink our milk so our bones could grow to be big and strong. It's There's some parts of it that's good for you. Um, some parts of it is not, it's, it's not that good for you. It's good. Um, but you could tell if somebody drank their milk, they would grow up to have big, strong muscles and bones. If someone tasted that milk, then you and I could see what that milk was doing for them. But regardless of the if the Got Milk campaign was either an early day meme or a good old-fashioned cliche, it was effective. Everyone started copywriting the phrase for their own personal gains. Got hair, question mark. Got love, question mark. Got Jesus, question mark. Milk did seem cool for a second. It, whether it actually got Americans to drink more milk, though, is questionable. On one hand, there was a small increase in sales and milk consumption in the mid-1990s. But by the time you got to the mid-2000s, Americans were actually drinking Less milk than ever before, only averaging around two-thirds cup per day. In 2019, so four years ago, that number is less. Americans average only drinking less than half a cup of milk a day. Yeah, a lot of us... So I was, I, when I read that statistic, I'm like, okay, why, why are Americans not drinking nearly as much milk as they used to, okay? Um, to be fair, Americans do still as a whole drink a lot of milk. In fact, last year on average, Americans drank close to 383 gallons of milk. Still a good... 383 gallons of milk. What, all of us? All Americans. That's not To be fair, Americans are still drinking plenty of milk around 800, 383 million gallons last year. Oh, I didn't say millions? <laughs> my bad, my bad. 383 million gallons of milk last year. When I, in my mind, I started picturing the gallons in a grocery aisle, and I started getting to like maybe 383 wouldn't even cover the whole Walmart section. 383 million gallons last year. I feel like that's not a lot though. But that's still nowhere near what they used to drink. Because what had happened was the Got Milk campaign, it started shifting. It started getting away from their, no pun intended, their bread and butter, just milk. 
they started pushing other avenues and other things to other products like cheese and yogurt. And they lost sight of their number one priority was milk. They started trying to become other things and they started substituting out other things that they thought would work for them. But in the process, they lost what was once precious to them. And so if a great advertising push and marketing campaign like Got Milk that revolutionized a generation into acting and thinking and the mindset of the importance of milk for at least a couple, even three decades, could try and replicate what gave them, what glorified them from the very beginning and stem away from what profited them, then we have to understand that we too can lose or even replace the thing that we should be known for or that we should glorify. In my childhood, I tasted that milk and I saw how influential the posters and signs were at the time. But eventually, because I didn't stick with it, I didn't continuously drink milk every day, I lost that desire of got milk. I lost the desire of growing up to have big, strong bones and muscles, and and my lips don't get milk mustaches as nearly as they did as a kid. And if we aren't careful, this glory of God that we have, the glory of God that we can achieve by going from glory to glory can be stolen, it can be lost, or even replaced for something that doesn't come closer to the blessings and the prosperities of God. When the Bible says to taste and see that the Lord is good, as long as I'm still drinking that living water, partaking in His body and His blood, indulging in His likeness and in His glory, then I shouldn't have an issue when someone looks at me and asks me, not got milk, but got glory. When you look at what leads up to our beginning text, you find that the nation of Israel is in a similar predicament than that of the got milk advertisement. Here we have the Philistines and the Israelites. The Philistines have already controlled some of Israel's territory and people. The Israelites put an army together to take a stand against the Philistines on the edge of the hill country of Ephraim. The Israelites encamp at Ebenezer, a short march from the camp of the Philistines, who wait at a place called Aphek. Their first battle goes horrible for Israel. And many, many Israelite soldiers are killed. Israel's elders can't even understand why the Lord would defeat them. They decide to send for the Ark of the Covenant, the ornament box used in atonement rituals. The Ark of the Covenant, which housed the two tablets of law given to Moses by God, Aaron's rod, and a golden jar full of manna. The ark rested in the Holy of Holies inside the tabernacle of the ancient temple of Jerusalem and was seen only by the high priest of the Israelites on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The ark, it's a physical manifestation of God's presence and supreme power and what the Levites carried with them during the Hebrews' wanderings in the wilderness. Following the conquest of Canaan, the promised land, the ark resided at Shiloh, But from time to time, it was carried into battle by the Israelites. Taking it to Jerusalem by King David, it was eventually placed in the temple by King Solomon. The Israelites, they wanted the ark brought to the battlefield from the tabernacle at Shiloh because they mistakenly believed 
that they can just bring God's presence into the battle using a physical object. Which at the time, that's what the ark was known for. But what we understand now today is that you don't need just a physical object for God's presence to be with you. You can bring the God's presence with you wherever you go. Regardless of what modern popular culture suggests, nothing in Scripture indicates that the ark was ever meant to be used as a weapon. Yes, it was meant for protection and for guidance because it held the law and the miracles of God and it contained essence of God's glory, but it was never meant to be used for warfare. And when you think about that, that's powerful. God's glory is never meant to be used as a weapon. The spirit inside of you is never meant to fight your brother or your sister. The characteristics, the nature, his word is never meant to attack the person sitting on the next of you, the left or right of you. It's never meant to attack the people that you care about. It's meant to, yes, cut things down that we are dealing with. And to proclaim the truth does hurt a little bit. But the number one goal of God and His glory is not to tear other people down and it's not to hurt them. When Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, arrive with the ark, all of the Israelites unleash a mighty shout of celebration that carries all the way to the camp of the Philistines. These Philistines are idol worshipers who know the reputation of Israel's God. So they wrongly believe the ark of God to be Israel's deity. Literally, they are terrified when they hear the Israelites have brought the object to their camp. They know the story of how God struck the Egyptians with many plagues to free His people from slavery. How can they fight a God such as that? But still, the Philistines decided to take courage and fight like men. The battle's not even close. But the result is the exact opposite of what either side expected. I want you to think about this. The Israelites bring the Ark of the Covenant with them to this fight. They think, we've got this box, this glorious box. God surely will be with us because God has been with us in this covenant, this Ark. And the Philistines, the enemy knows that, oh, we've got no match because the same God they worship is the one that got them out of the bondage of Egypt. We're... We're not looking too good in this fight. But the battle's not even close. Because the result is the exact opposite. The Philistines kill almost eight times as many Israelites as they did in that first fight that they had. The rest flee for their homes. The Philistines, they capture the Ark of God and Eli's sons are killed. And one survivor runs nearly the length of a modern athletic marathon to deliver this news to Eli, who was waiting by the road at the gate in the city of Shiloh. Eli's blind, he's overweight, and he's like 98, 100 years old. And when he hears that his sons are dead and the ark has been captured, he falls over backwards in his chair and he breaks his neck and dies. Yeah. He had been the judge over Israel for 40 years. Eli's, Eli's, um, Eli's son Phineas has a wife who's pregnant and is nearly due. When she hears that the ark has been captured by the Philistines and Eli and her husband are dead, this goes back to our scriptures, she goes into premature labor and quickly gives birth. The baby survives, but 
Phineas' wife will soon die. But before she does, she names the baby Ichabod. Is that, that's correct, right? Ichabod, which literally means no glory. Or, where has the glory gone? Her final recorded words are that the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured. That boy was named Ichabod for a reason. Like I said earlier, that name actually asks a question. Where has the glory gone? Or for Israel's sake, got glory. Israel had wandered away from God, stopped authentic worship, priests were corrupt, people were putting their faith in furniture instead of God. The Philistines rose up, conquered the Israelites, and took the ark and killed Eli's two sons. But why? How did it happen? It's because they wanted the Israelites, they wanted the Ark of the Covenant, but they didn't want the God of the Ark. What they failed to realize is that without God, that Ark was merely just a fancy piece of house decor. Without God inside of that Ark, without a pursuit of the miracle worker instead of just a miracle, they were welcomed with just a shiny golden box. Without God, the church building would just be another gathering place. Without God, this world would be darker than it already is. And without God, this life, gravity has no purpose. But it's a good thing, a great thing, that we have a loving God that wants us to have the relationship with Him. To know even when He stops moving in my life, even when I don't feel that great and strong with Him, He's giving us something called the Holy Ghost which is a comforter and His Spirit, to not dwell just inside of a box, to not be contained in a shiny plastic piece of furniture that we can look at once a year or that we can look at it from afar and say, I'm just glad to be in His presence. No, He's given us a piece of Him to dwell inside of you and I to motivate us and to push us with power to live a life pleasing unto Him and to go from that glory to glory. 2 Timothy 1 and 14, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. We have to keep it. We can't be like the Israelites. We can't be, oh, when, when we see it, we're good. When we see the presence, we're fine because that's close enough. When, when, we, when we just see it and we see all the things that the presence of God is doing from afar, that's good enough. I'm in the will of God. I'm there. But if we could ever decide to open up that box and say, I don't want to just look at it. I want what's in that box to live inside of me. And I want it to stay in here. Yes, I know back then whoever touched that box that wasn't right in the Lord's sight, they died. I get that. But what I'm trying to get us to understand is that what was in that box was important for them, but it's not meant to stay in that box. It's meant to be with us. We are the temple of the living God. We are the body of Christ. We are meant to be a reasonable service of a living sacrifice because God wants us to have that relationship with Him. He wants Him dwelling inside of us. But sadly, Israel forgets the true glory that was within the Ark of the Covenant. And their mishap teaches us a powerful lesson. I'm preaching tonight on how to stop your walk with God. How to lose that glory in just two easy steps. In the time this took place, when Eli's daughter-in-law heard of the death of her husband, father-in-law, and the taking of the Ark, she went into labor 
And in that verse, she called that boy Ichabod, saying the glory had departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband. God withdrew His glory for a time from Israel. And if we are observant and careful, we can avoid God withdrawing His glory from our lives by knowing what to do. We know what it looks like. We know how to obtain it. But do we know how to keep it? We must painstakingly and carefully look into our own lives and ask ourselves, how is our walk with God going? Am I walking with Him daily? Am I getting to know Him a little more each day? Am I listening to His voice? Am I pursuing His calling in my life? Am I walking on that firm foundation, that chief cornerstone, that church that's set upon a hill and the gates of hell shall not enter it and shake and destroy it? Or just like the man who built his house on sand, is my walk shaky? Or anytime the wind blows, does my life, my relationship with God, what I believe inward or an outward crumbles by the wayside? I say no. I say nay. I say that I've got to make sure that the glory of God that's inside of me is firm and solid and it's built out of stone and that nothing on earth is going to come and shake it and nothing on earth is going to come and move it out the way no matter what trial, no matter what peer pressure, no matter what everybody else is doing, the glory of God, I'm not letting anybody take it. I'm not letting anybody steal it from me. (laughs) There's a couple of major things to look for to see if we either got the glory or we lost it. The first of the two reasons how we can lose out on having the glory of God in our lives is number one, substituting the glory. Nowadays, people don't just drink normal milk. They substitute it with other kinds, like oat and goat and almond milk and other kinds of milk. Never, Lexi, never would I have ever thought that you can milk an almond. Never would I thought that you could milk an almond to make almond milks. Just kidding. Not saying it's a bad thing. Look, I'm not, I'm not criticizing anybody who drinks other kinds of milk, regardless of if you like the taste, medical reasons, whatever. But it's not the real milk. It's just not. Looking back at verse 21, she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband. Eli's daughter-in-law incorrectly associates God's glorious presence with the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. However, she is right in the sense that she believed life apart from God's blessing and His presence was not a life worth living. It wasn't the fact that the Ark was taken. It was the fact that the children of Israel didn't even believe in God more than the confines of that Ark. Phineas' wife had lost three family members, her father-in-law, her brother-in-law, and her husband. And that news, coupled with the news of the capture of the Ark of God, suddenly brought her those labor pains and a premature birth. But Eli's daughter-in-law saw his death as a turning point in her life as an Israelite. Why? For those that need a little more information on Eli and what's important of this, Eli had been a priest, like I said earlier, for 40 years in Israel. An Old Testament priest was a form of Christ. They were in charge of ensuring the sacrifices and the temple was good to go for the people. 
They were the ones deemed by the commoners as God's people. If anyone needed to know about God, of course they would ask people like Eli. He would present an annual sacrifice of blood for the atonement of sins that the nation had accumulated over a 12-month period. And we, thankfully, no longer have to do someone to do this for us because Jesus offered Himself as the ultimate sacrifice for sin by shedding His blood on the cross once and for all, for all sin, for all humankind. Amen. Eli was not perfect, but he was a God's man. First, the verse 18, 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 18 tells us that he handled the news of the death of his sons with some amount of of composure, but when the news of the Ark of the Covenant came right after, that was more than what his heart could handle. Think about that. It was, I'm sure, devastating to hear the news of his children dying, but when he heard about the God's presence leaving them, that's when he fell over and he died. God had already began to talk to the young man Samuel about Eli and his sons. Eli somewhere began though, to take his eyes off of the God of the ark and began to worship the ark itself. He allowed the ark to be the substitute for the presence. He allowed something like it to substitute the real thing. For milk drinkers, substitute other kinds of milk for the real deal. Let Eli, though, let him be an example That even though we go to church every Sunday and Wednesday, we're in ministry, we quote scriptures frontwards and backwards, we dress the part, none of that substitutes continuously pursuing the glory of God. The most important aspect of being a child of God is to have consecration to God, which means a sincere dedication to a cause. So in other words, there's a separation of oneself from the things that are unclean, especially anything that would contaminate one's relationship with a perfect God. Consecration also has us in sanctification, holiness, and purity. 2 Corinthians 6.17 says, Therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. Gravity, we've got to be clean. We've got to be true. We've got to be real. We can't substitute this walk with God. We can't substitute the glory of God. We can't replace it. There is nothing like God. There is nothing like Jesus. We can't fake it till we make it. There is no faking it till you make it. You've got to be real if you're going to make it. You want to make sure your consecration with God is 100% As real as it can be, we've got to be honest with Him. We've got to be ourselves and be something we aren't because God will not use you unless you are who you are. And if you can't do it by yourself, how about someone to hold you accountable? That's why the church body is so important. That's why a youth group is so important. Hebrews says, Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. There's a story that I heard or read about not too long ago about the, an author had wrote this book. And within this book, he was telling a story about his son. And his son was born without a left hand. Had no left hand at all. 
One day in Sunday school, the teacher was talking with the children about the church. To illustrate her point, she folded her hands together and said, Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open up the doors and see all the people. There you go. I, you know, do the whole, I can't do it. You forgot, yeah. There you go. And then all the people, yeah. The boom. Thank you all. She asked the class to do it along with her. <laughs> Obviously, she totally forgot about the son's inability to pull this exercise off. Then it dawned on her that the boy wouldn't be able to join in. Before she could do anything about it, the little boy next to his son, a friend of his from that time they were babies, reached out his left hand and said, let's do it together. The two boys proceeded to join their hands together to make the church and make the steeple. That's what it's about. There you go. Look, sometimes, sometimes in this walk, sometimes in this life, sometimes in this ministry, sometimes us trying to be everything we can be for God. <laughs> yeah. It's hard doing this by yourself. Don't ever think that you are all alone in this. You've got people who will be that left hand for you. They will be that additional part for you. So that's the first sign. Don't substitute it. But the second thing you need to do, and the second thing to look out for, is don't sour the glory. Don't sour it. You know, if milk is left out in the wrong outside conditions, or it isn't consumed before the expiration date, it is bad, y'all. You can smell it out the fridge. Bad. It's awful. Yeah. So, just like the children of Israel needed new manna and quail every day and every night, we too need the newness of the glory of God in our life, or it could sour. So how do we preserve or keep the milk, the glory, from not souring? Remember 1 Samuel 22, and she said the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God was taken. The ark of God, that piece of furniture that was used in the temple for sacrifice. Exodus talked about Moses saying he would commune with thee from above the mercy seat between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. The ark is where God spoke to His people. Hezekiah prayed to God saying, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel who is enthroned above the cherubim, You are God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth have made heaven and the earth. The prophet Hezekiah entered the Holy of Holies and prayed to an invisible presence that sat enthroned on top of the mercy seat and over in the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot speak particularly. Perhaps Phineas's widow in her dying hour spoke better than she knew. God's glory, presence, was gone from Israel. Imagine that. Imagine showing up to church and not being able to feel His presence. Imagine you going through a situation in your life and you don't feel God in the midst of it. It's... I don't know about y'all, but when I've got a lot going on in my mind and i got a lot of anxiety and stress and I'm going through situations, something about God coming in with that peace that just hits 
and it feels good, and I know that everything is going to be okay. That was gone. Power from among high. All that stuff was gone from them for a moment. But the painful reality that we need to realize is what forced God's presence out of Israel is the same force that pushes His presence out of our lives, and that is sin. Sin is what causes that wedge between us and God. One version of John says, This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Sin cannot exist in God's presence. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. We can't serve God and money, or power, or pride, or lust, or greed, or something else. We have to serve God. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the world. Live as those children of light. And how do we live as children of light? I'm glad you asked. Titus 3 and 5. Not by works of righteousness which have done we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. That phrase, He saved us, specifically implies that God and only God alone is the source of our salvation. If there is sin that we are dealing with, if we don't want our milk to go sour or our glory to go bad, you got to find it in the presence of God. you got to find it from the source Himself. Being saved is not something we accomplish through just good deeds. But through the mercy of God and through His plan is how we get to salvation. It only comes from Him. It's the washing of regeneration. It's the baptism that we take. Water baptism, being submerged. It's a spiritual cleansing. We are regenerated and made new. That Holy Ghost renews our lives when we come into faith. Which means if I'm going to make sure, Caden, that my glory with God, that glory's God does not sour in my life, then I've got to continuously be in a mindset of regeneration. I must continuously get out what causes my glory to sour. And here's the realization. We talked about it just a few seconds ago. If I go into the fridge and that milk is past its expiration date, what am I doing with it? You think I'm going to drink it? You think I want that in my body? No. If I'm going to put it in my body, Reagan, I'm going to throw up. Why do we need the same thing with glory? Why do we want the same thing with our Holy Ghost? If I'm not constantly stocking my fridge back up with milk, whether you get it from the store or you get it from the milkman, whichever one you do, you've got to have new milk. If I want my cereal to taste good, if I want my cakes to taste good, if I want just milk to taste good, I've got to have the glory new every chance I get. I can't make it on old glory. It's going to sour if I don't renew. It's going to be old if I don't renew it. Amen. I'm closing. Everybody can stand.
On behalf of Gravity Student Ministries, thank you so much for checking out today's Plugged In episode. If you're ever in the Centerpoint, Louisiana area and you want to come check out one of our services in person, we have them every Wednesday night, 7.05 p.m. in the Upstairs Youth Sanctuary at Centerpoint Pentecostal Church. We would love to have you be a part of us. In the meantime, though, hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll see you on the next Plugged In episode. See you later.